Well, good morning, College Park. Hope that you guys are doing well. Uh, my name is Chris Beals, and I have the privilege of serving us as lead pastor. And I uh, hope that you guys have made the, uh, a great transition for those of you who have children in school and uh, getting back to that routine. We've been praying for you that that transition has uh, gone very uh, smoothly. Now, before we dive into uh, the word today, just have two quick uh, announcements. The first one is um, we're so thankful to announce that we've um, hired a new children's coordinator. Uh, her name is Heidi Sweet, and uh, we are extremely excited about the Lord's uh, clarity and guidance throughout that whole process. Yeah. And Heidi has uh, many years' experience serving in children's ministry, even on staff at uh, other churches, and so we're excited to continue to invest uh, in the next generation. Uh, the second uh, announcement, uh, we have our first Fishers Campus uh, membership class coming up at the end of September, and uh, we still have one membership over both campuses, but this will be the first one at Fishers, and it will occur for four weeks after church on Sunday, just uh, right next door in the cafeteria. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, man, what is my next step? I've been attending for several weeks now. I would just encourage you to consider uh, just joining the College Park family and, uh, and becoming a member at College Park Church. And so you can uh, sign up on our website or follow the link uh, in uh, the e-news. So with that, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll dive in. God, we confess uh, this morning Lord, that we have a, a room full of people with different things going on in our lives, or we bring into this room different struggles, different doubts, or different things that we're wrestling with and even questioning. And Lord, I just give you praise that you don't ask us to clean ourselves up to come to you. You don't ask us to put on a facade, but Lord, we can come here in this place and you meet us exactly where we are. And so God, I, just, I do pray that you would just unleash your power in this room through your word and through your spirit. God, we want to experience you, God, through your word. We don't just want more facts and knowledge, but we want to be transformed by your word. And so we pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife and I uh, often say that we have two toddlers at home. So we obviously have our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Ellie, and then we have our three-year-old puppy uh, named Charlie. And uh, we got Charlie a few years ago uh, when we were going through infertility right in the midst of it. And so we, we thought to ourselves, hey, let's, let's get a puppy. And uh, just to get our minds off, uh, off the pain and just things that we were wrestling with. And uh, little did we know that God was orchestrating a plan for us to adopt Ellie just two months after we got our puppy, Charlie. And, uh, and so if you could just visualize kind of the scene in the Beals household of us pouring so much attention and energy into this dog, training him, going to classes, and then we found out about Ellie, and, uh, and so we just dropped all of our training and all the classes to, uh, to help get him tamed, and so we kind of have a half-trained dog at our home. But if you do own a dog, you know this to be true about, about yours, but our dog loves bones. There's, there's something about dogs and its relationship with bones that's that's pretty strange at times. And our dog, Charlie, has a routine that we have picked up on that when we give him a bone, he goes through this whole routine. He takes the bone and he gets super excited. Like he, it's almost like he's smiling as a dog. 
and he starts to prance around us. He does like three circles around us with his, with his tail wagging, just so excited, so delighted to have this prize. And then he goes off into this private space, into his own little section, and he just kind of goes to town on this bone. And Charlie, for whatever reason, like we'll give him the bones that should last all day. Like he's done with the bone in just a matter of minutes. And, uh, and it's kind of interesting watching him enjoy this bone. Like he is licking this bone, savoring this bone, chewing on this bone. And even certain times, there's almost like this, this little rumble or growling noise that he's making just to express like his enjoyment over this bone. And uh, it's kind of a strange uh, thing to witness. And I'm sorry, if you're a cat person this morning, this illustration may not resonate with you. But if you think about dogs and their bones, I just want to pose this for you this morning. Did you know that we're told and even commanded in Scripture to experience the Word of God in a similar way as dogs experience their bones? I know that might sound strange, but there's actually a Hebrew word that is often translated as meditate that shows up in in Psalm chapter 1 where it says, Blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. That word meditate gets at that meaning of what dogs tend to do with their bones. In fact, that same word for meditate in the Hebrew is translated as growling in Isaiah 31 verse 4, where it says, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey. And so that same enjoyment that a lion has over his prey is really what you and I are to experience with the Word of God, to meditate on Scripture, to chew on Scripture, to digest Scripture deep into our souls, and to delight in Scripture. I want to ask you this morning, is that how you experience the Bible? Like in your own life, do you meditate on Scripture? Do you delight in Scripture? Do you enjoy and allow the Scriptures to digest in your soul? Do you have the same posture towards the Word of God as dogs have with their bones, where this is a prized possession? This is a privilege. This is a joy. Is this something that you just kind of gnaw on and and allow just to, to be on your mind all throughout the day. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you think to yourself, man, that would be nice to experience the Word of God that way. That would be, that would be fantastic to, to have that type of posture towards the Word of God, but I don't. Maybe you think to yourself, man, that would be great to view the Bible as actually something that I enjoy reading, as something that I actually get something out of, and yet you would say, I, I don't really get much out of Scripture. Maybe you've had moments in your life, maybe as of late, where you're staring at the Bible on your table wondering, does this thing even work? Is the Bible even relevant for my life? How does this this thing actually intersect with my life? Maybe you've had thoughts about that. Or maybe you're here today and you're a stay-at-home mom and you're thinking to yourself, how does the Bible written thousands of years ago actually speak into my day-in and day-out life? Or maybe you work outside of the home and you've wondered maybe a similar thought, looking at the Bible that's been written by many different authors in a different culture, in a different place, wondering, how is the Bible relevant for me? Or maybe you're a student and you've gone back to school 
and you look at your desk and you've got all kinds of different textbooks and then you've got the Bible. And maybe you've wondered, how, how is the Bible different than all of these other textbooks? Maybe you're here today and you're battling anxiety, battling maybe depression or you're in a battle with sin. Maybe you're lacking purpose and you're wondering, is the Bible really relevant for my life? Well, this morning, I, I want to lay before us this morning that the Bible is incredibly relevant. That this book, the, the Bible has the power to, to speak into every area of our lives. And yet, when we say that the Bible is relevant, I, I want us to be careful I want us to be careful not to slip into the mindset that the Bible is centered on us. That when we say the Bible is relevant, let's be careful not to make ourselves the central figure in Scripture. But when we say that the Bible is relevant, what we mean is that because the foundation and origin of Scripture is God, that because it's inspired, because it's inerrant, because it's without error, the Bible has then authority to shape how we are to live, thus making it relevant for our day in and day out lives. So I think far too many Christians, and if we were really honest this morning, that far too many Christians have this gap that exists between what we know and believe about the Bible and what we actually experience with the Bible. That most of us, if not all of us, would, would definitely say we believe the Bible is inspired. We believe the Bible is authoritative. We believe the Bible is sufficient. We might even say that the Bible is relevant. And yet for far too many of us, there's this gap between what we believe and what we actually experience in the book day in and day out. And so what I want us to see this morning, what my goal is for us to see is that the Bible is not only relevant because it's true and because it's authoritative and because it's sufficient, but I want us to see that the Bible is relevant because of what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 has to say about it. That the Bible is relevant because, number one, it's living. Number two, the Bible is relevant because it's piercing. Number three, it's discerning. And number four, because it's exposing. And that will be our outline here this morning as we dive into Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. So let's begin with number one, the Bible is relevant because it's living, because it's living. Now, as we jump into Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 and 13, we are really catching the tail end of an important section in Hebrews. In chapter four, the author of Hebrews has been laying out a plea that's really serving as both a warning and an encouragement to do everything that you can to enter God's rest. And this rest is referring to, ultimately, salvation in Christ, where true believers will experience the ultimate rest in the great Sabbath celebration around God's throne in heaven. So verse 11, he says, Strive to enter that rest so you do not fall into the same disobedience. And this disobedience refers to the Israelites in the wilderness falling into the sin of unbelief, that then caused their hearts to be hardened and then led them to disobedience. In fact, chapter 3, verse 12 says this, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
And so then the author of Hebrews begins verse 12, our section here today, with the word for. Now this word for, he's using this to provide an additional reason for the exhortation to make every effort to enter God's rest. Okay, so we get this picture of the author of Hebrews. He's been pressing into them. Look, don't fall away from the living God. Do all that you can to strive to enter God's rest. Don't, don't fall prey to the sin of unbelief and allow your hearts to become hardened. And so he's been exhorting them and exhorting them and exhorting them. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says, look, for the word of God is living and active. And so he puts on top of them this picture of the power of God's word and really the relevance of God's word in order to further exhort them to not fall away. So he says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So the word of God being alive or living, when the reader of Hebrews reads that, they should recall what he just said in chapter 3, verse 12. The warning not to fall away from the living God. But the Bible, being living or being alive, means that the source of Scripture is God himself. And so because the Bible's origin is God, and as we learned last week, the inspiration and origin of the Bible is directly God himself, who is the author of life, who is the sustainer of life, and the giver of life, grounds the Bible with the full authority of God himself. That God gives life, not just physical life, but even spiritual life. It's alive and it's active. And the way that this Greek word for living is used here can not only mean that the Bible is alive and living, but it can also mean that it's life-giving. This is a similar way that the psalmist uses this word in Psalm 119, verse 25, where he says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The reason why that is so significant, that as we look at the relevance of Scripture, is because the Bible is alive. That means that it makes this book completely different than any other book that you and I pick up. That its source is from God. Its power and its authority is from God, which makes it true and without error. But it's not only living, but the Bible is also active. Still in verse 12 here. Now, this word active, we get our word energy from it in the Greek. It means effective and signifies that God's word, which powerfully examines and discerns, is able to affect the purpose for which God has uttered. That's an amazing reality about God's word. Don't miss that, that God's word has a purpose whenever we read it. Love how Isaiah 55 verse 11 kind of highlights this point. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, what a powerful promise about the Word of God, that the Word of God has a purpose, and God will see to it that that purpose is fulfilled. But this means that the Word of God is effectual, that it will accomplish 
that which God sets out to do. So we get this amazing picture of God's word being alive and active. We get this movement of God's word whenever we read it or whenever we hear it being preached. Now, the way that the Bible is relevant, that because God's word is alive and active, it means that it has the power to impart life-giving truths that meet us exactly where we are. That no matter what circumstance that you find yourselves in, that God's word unleashes God's specific purpose through it. That God knows exactly what you need when you need it. And part of what he wants to accomplish in us is dependent on us actually filling our souls with the word of God. See, whenever we fill our souls with the word of God, that enables God's purpose to go forth in and through our lives. And he will accomplish that purpose for what he has set out to do in our lives. And yet so often, like we, we miss the purpose that God has for us because we're not in this book consistently. Like so often we're, we're wondering, what, what is God's purpose? What is he doing in my life? And yet so often we're not in this book reading what God has to say to us. Or when we do read it, we don't have this, this expectation of God's word being alive and being active and having a specific purpose for what God has set out to do. Like I just wonder how, how much that would change our relationship with this book if we truly believed that the word of God is living and it's active and it has a specific purpose whenever we read it. Oftentimes I, I hear the, the phrase said to me, man, Chris, I, I wish I could just hear from God. Like I wish I could just sense him or just, or just hear a word from him. And whenever I hear that, my, my next question is always, hey, are you, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading what God has said and what God continues to say to us through the word? That God has a specific purpose when we open up this book and he will accomplish that purpose in and through our lives. So you might be wondering, okay, well, that's, that's great that the Bible has a purpose whenever we read it, but what is it? Like, it's great that it's alive and it's active and God's going to accomplish that purpose, but, but what is it? What does God want to accomplish when we read it? I'm glad you asked. Part of the answer to that question is found in the rest of our passage, verses 12 and 13. Let's move to number two here, that the Word of God is not only relevant because it's living, but the Word of God, it's relevant because it's piercing, that it's piercing. Verse 12, again, for the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Now, the author of Hebrew, he's using a really compelling imagery to show us the fact that God's word is able to penetrate the deepest parts of who we are. Did you pick that up in this verse, that, that the word of God is not just a sharp sword, but it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That the word of God doesn't just penetrate soul and spirit, but the word of God penetrates also joints and marrow. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to show us a progression here to see the piercing power of God's word. The two-edged description of a sword is used to define the sharpness of a sword. It's, it's emphasizing the penetrating force of that sword. 
But notice how the author describes how deep the word of God actually goes. That the word of God actually has the power to go into the deepest places of our being. Love how one commentator put it this way. He said, the list of parallel elements that God's word penetrates is first psychological, the immaterial forces that animate a person, the soul and spirit, and then physical, the material aspects, joints and marrow. And together, they summarize human existence. And honestly, I mean, most of us, if not all of us, we've, we've all experienced that piercing power of the word of God whether it's by reading the word on our own time in our personal devotions, or maybe we've heard a sermon about the word of God, and we've all felt that conviction that, that pierces us to the deepest places of our souls. And this is one of the purposes that God has in store for us when we read or when we listen to the Bible, that he wants to pierce us with conviction that actually leads us to repentance. That's part of the purpose of what he's trying to do. I experienced this piercing power of conviction in my own life just this week. I was at a, a meeting with pastors at the other uh, North Indy campus, and Pastor Mark Vrogop was just sharing a devotion like he always does from, from 2 Timothy 3 about pastoral patience in ministry. And he was kind of explaining the text, and I'm sitting there just, just in a meeting, just every week, but the word of God is, is being explained, it's being shared, and, and through that, I felt the piercing power of conviction. Because in my own life, I, I struggle to have that pastoral patience in ministry. Like I want people to change immediately, or I want things to be implemented immediately. And so in my own life, I can struggle to have that patience. And so I felt this, this conviction from the Lord. I just had to stop and just confess that to God and, and turn in repentance. It's that piercing power deep into our souls that the word of God wants to do whenever we read it or whenever we hear it. And honestly, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, like experiencing the conviction of the word of God through his spirit. It, it's uncomfortable experiencing that type of conviction that leads to repentance. And yeah, I wonder for you, when was the last time that you felt the piercing power of God's word in your life. Not just, man, that was a good verse that was really encouraging, but, but the piercing power of God's word deep into your soul that, that led you to feeling that conviction that then led you to repentance. Let me, let me ask it a different way. When was the last time that you actually craved to be pierced by the word of God? When was the last time that you actually prayed to be pierced and to feel the conviction of God's word? Because I, I don't want us to miss this point of, of the power of God's word, that a big point of why God's word is so relevant is because it has the power to pierce us to the deepest places of our souls. And so if you and I, if we're not consistently experiencing that type of conviction, or if you and I aren't consistently asking the Lord to give us a craving to feel that conviction, we're missing the biggest point in this book. That if we're not consistently feeling a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit stirred whenever we read this book, we're missing the point of the Bible. That there's this disconnect happening between what the Bible claims to be true about itself and what we're actually experiencing. 
See, the Bible is not just this pick-me-up book where we try to find the the golden nugget verse to, to give us encouragement, to get us through the day. That we don't just pick and choose what we like from the Bible and then throw out the rest that, 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 that brings conviction and makes us feel uncomfortable. It's so much more than that. The Bible is so much more than just encouragement. So I, I don't want us to have a shallow view of Scripture, but we are to read the Bible on, on God's terms. And so the Bible is, is not primarily about us. It's not primarily about seeking encouragement or, or seeking our comfort, but the Bible is primarily about God. It's about his glory. It's about his majesty. It's about a God who has a jealous love for his people. It's not about us and our comforts. The word of God is about, really, it's about pointing sinful people to a holy and a loving God and and how to have a relationship with that God. And so, really, whenever we open up this book, we should consistently be feeling that conviction and that stirring that, wow, this area I need to repent of, or that area I need to, be repent, I need to repent of. Or maybe if, if you're here today and you're, and you're not a Christian, you're an unbeliever, like our prayer for you is that you would be pierced by the word of God that leads you to saving faith and repentance in Jesus Christ because of what he's accomplished for you on the cross. But this should be a consistent experience for us when we open up the word of God to be pierced by it and to be convicted by it and not to be comfortable with God's word. I'll go as far as saying that we, we need to have a, a different type of reaction when we read the Bible than when we read other devotional spiritual books. There's nothing wrong with, with spiritual or devotion books, but, but this book is alive and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Its source is God. Its power comes from God. Therefore, we should respond and react differently to the word of God. That it's piercing. Well, not only that, but the word of God is not just living, not just piercing, but the word of God is discerning. The word of God is discerning. Look with me at verse 12 here, the, the last part there. It says, the word of God, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's just stop there and unpack that. So the author describes the word of God not only being alive, active, and sharp, pierces us, but the word of God also has the ability to judge and discern our thoughts and our attitudes in the heart. And the word discern here could actually be translated as to judge. And we get the idea of, of playing the role of a critic and here the author, just, he further unpacks the result of the penetrating power of God's word by explaining that it's able to probe the inmost and deepest places of our being. And so it not only brings conviction by piercing us, but the word of God actually brings light, our motives and our hidden agendas deep in our hearts. The word of God, it it sifts and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart in a detailed and complete way. The word heart here is is used to refer to the seat of thought and the will. It's the totality of the inner person. This is the place where we make decisions from. In fact, chapter 3, verse 8, the author urges his readers not to harden their hearts 
from the deceitfulness of sin and unbelief. And so the idea here is that God's word is able to act authoritatively as judge and discern our innermost feelings and thoughts, showing us where we need to repent and change, that God's word digs that deep into our hearts. And one of the most relevant and practical uses of scripture is it penetrates that deep. It's like a sore that cuts through tough, hard layers and makes judgments about what's there, that it reveals what's really going on beneath the surface in the deepest places of our hearts. And yet not only that, but it it shines a light in there and it shows us where we have fallen short and it pierces us, trying to turn us in repentance. And man, I, like we all need that. I, I need that in my own life. Like when I read the Bible, I, I need to be pierced and not only to be convicted, but I need the word of God to shine a light on those areas that I don't even really want to see. Like those deep places of my heart those things in my heart that, that's stirring that I might be blinded to because that's the nature of sin, I need the word of God to shine a light in my own heart. See, we can, we can tend to fall into this habit of whenever we want to change something in our lives, maybe we want to repent of something, we tend to fall into the trap of only attacking the symptoms and not the root. See, sometimes whenever we want to change We just want the outward appearance to change and not what's really going on in our hearts. I'll give you an example. If if you're struggling with with the idol of envy, the idol of of coveting what, what someone else has, we can fall into the trap of only attacking the symptoms of what that envy is trying to produce in our lives. And so you might have five, six, seven, eight different symptoms that's being produced because of the idol of envy And yet you might say to yourself, I want to attack this this sin in my life, and so I'm going to get rid of social media. I'm just going to get rid of that symptom so that I don't have to fall prey to comparing myself with other people on Facebook. So I'm just going to get rid of Facebook. I'm just going to get rid of the symptom. And yet what really needs to take place is to uproot the idol of envy, envy and replace it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jesus Christ declares that your worth and your significance is not in your stuff, it's in what Jesus has done for you. And so we need to dig down deeper beneath the surface and get at the idols that lay in our hearts. So you might be thinking, okay, how how do I do that? Well, the word of God does that. In fact, the word of God is the only thing powerful enough to dig down deep into our hearts and uproot those idols that lay there. In fact, the word of God is the only thing that can actually shine a light in our hearts to say right here, this needs to be uprooted or this needs to be replaced with the gospel or this needs to be repented of and not just attacking the symptoms, but the root issues that go on in our lives. See, if we just attack those symptoms, then the the root idol is just gonna produce more and more symptoms elsewhere in our lives. And so the Bible, when we say it's powerful, it's true, but the Bible is uncomfortable. I mean, the Bible is going to get in your stuff and actually cause repentance to occur in our lives. This book is powerful. There's something so unique about the Bible. And and this is part of the reason 
why I love having children in the worship service. This is part of the reason why I love having kids here during the worship service. And parents, I know it's hard to to keep them focused and and not have them be a distraction, but, but just stop for a moment and think about a third grader who sits in this room on a weekly basis. That if you're in third grade or sixth grade and you're looking around at hundreds of other adults, at all of these other mommies and daddies who are paying attention to the word of God being preached for 40, 45 minutes, I mean, just think about that picture that we're painting, that, that type of value that we're pressing into our children that, you know, for a third grader, they, might, they may not know everything that's going on in this moment. They may not fully comprehend what, what Pastor Chris is saying. But one thing that they do know is that there is something important and significant and powerful about the Word of God when a bunch of adults gather together on a Sunday morning instead of sleeping in and they say, this is important. And I, I love that. I love seeing kids here. And I, I love even family devotions. The idea of, of having kind of a family quiet time where we teach our children that the Bible is powerful. The Bible is different. The Bible is unique. I mean, I love, I love our, my, our two, two and a half year old daughter, Ellie, how she treats daddy's Bible. Like there's, there's something unique about daddy's Bible. There's something special and sacred when we read it and we open it up and, and we learn more about God. That I, I so desperately want my Ellie to know that the Dr. Seuss books may entertain her, may make her laugh, but the Bible will transform her. And the Bible will point her to Jesus Christ, that there's something different about this book. And we as adults need to model that in our lives. The Bible is piercing. The Bible is also discerning as we just finished. Now, the last one here, the Bible is also exposing. The Bible is exposing. So if we thought that aspect of Scripture was uncomfortable, let's look at verse 13. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, verse 13 further shows the purpose of God's word when we read it. This purpose that God has for us whenever we open it or whenever we hear it, the the result of its penetrating and piercing power, it leaves us totally exposed in the presence of God to whom we must give an account. Now, what the author is getting at here is to be exposed by the word of God is to be examined fully by God himself. And therefore, we must give an answer to God. But notice the way that that the author moves from showing us how the word searches us to the word of God exposes us. And now we must give an account before that God. This is a really sobering reality. It's it's kind of a, a terrifying aspect of God's word. It's interesting how Jeremiah 23 puts it. It says, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? It's clear in in this verse in Jeremiah that, that no one can hide from God. 
that no creature remains hidden from his gaze, that outward appearance will not suffice when we must give an account to God. In fact, the word used here for for naked shows that everyone is completely exposed to the all-seeing eye of the living God. And the word exposed in our passage kind of has an interesting twist to it because the way that it's, it's being used here has more of the meaning of in wrestling, of bringing down an opponent by the neck. So we get this interesting picture of not just being exposed, but the word of God almost leaves us helpless before God as it exposes all the things going on in our lives. I think that's important because when you use these two words together of naked and exposed, the idea of being helpless and exposed, we really see how relevant the word of God actually is because this is what happens, that when we read the word of God correctly and we submit to its power like we should, it leaves us in this kind of condition before God, that everything is laid bare before him, that God sees every area of our lives, that there's no hiding, that he sees it all. I can't think of of anything more needed in our lives, something more relevant or more practical than that, that God's word brings us face to face to our creator and reminds us that God sees us all. He sees everything about us, every emotion, every thought, every struggle, every heartache, every temptation, every doubting question, that he sees it all. And what God's word does is God's word brings us to the point of relating to God on that level of intimacy. That level, the deepest places of our heart, God's word brings us there to actually connect with God on that level. That it enables us to connect with him, not not on the surface, but from the deepest places of our souls. Man, don't you want that this morning? Don't you crave to experience and to connect with God on that level? I mean, as terrifying as it is, I I just wonder how often do we tend to relate to God on the surface, like just on a superficial way where where we kind of put up a, a facade or we put up a mask even with God. Like even with God, we kind of play this this religious game of of hiding our fears and hiding our emotions, hiding our temptations, even from God. And yet what the word of God does when we submit to its power is that it enables us to connect with God from the deepest places of our hearts, not just on the surface. So I just wonder if you're here today and you you just cannot connect with the Bible you just don't see that it's relevant. You just, you don't, you're not consistently in it. I just wonder if you're only connecting with God on the surface and not deep from the deepest places of your soul. The word of God, it cuts through all, all, all of the layers in our lives and it leaves us just completely exposed before him. What, what an incredible gift. What a powerful gift. You just wonder what, what would that do to our own personal time in the word if we anticipated the word doing just that? If we opened up this book and we expected the word of God to expose us in that way, how much more would we crave the word of God? 
Just wonder if we'd start to view the Bible like dogs view the bones, just something that we savor and cherish and, and chew on it and, and crave it. So you might be sitting here thinking, okay, like this is, okay, I see that the Bible's relevant, Chris. Like I see, I see more aspects of God's word, that it's alive, that it's active, that it wants to pierce me, that it has this discerning aspect of it. And, and maybe you're still wondering, okay, how do I read it? Like, how do I actually study the Bible? Like, this is great that the Bible's inspired. That's awesome that the Bible is true and it's authoritative. But, but how do I self-feed myself the word of God? That's a great question. I mean, it's, it's almost like if you were, if you were totally blind and, and, I had, and I had a pair of glasses for you and, and it had the right prescription for you to be able to see perfectly. And we're sitting across the table from each other and you're just blind as a bat. You can't see anything. And I put down a pair of glasses in front of you. And I say, here's, here's what will fix your eyesight. This is the right prescription. And I go into all kinds of details about the prescription. And we're talking all day about how this is the perfect pair of glasses. And then I say, okay, here you go. Like, put them on. And you're sitting there thinking, I, I can't even see the glasses. And you start like fumbling over the glasses. And and in a similar way, like we could talk all day about how the word of God is authoritative and true and relevant. And yet, if you don't know how to study the Bible for yourselves, then what good is it? Like you might be at College Park because of the preaching of the word and our, and our commitment to the preaching of the word. That this is one of the core values is the authority of the Bible. And yet, what, what happens from Monday through Saturday in your own lives? What happens outside of the preaching of the word? Do you know how to self-feed yourself God's truth? And so as we close today, I, I just want to share just some helpful principles in how to study scripture for yourself. So I'll move fairly quickly here, and I'm going to follow kind of this acronym of, of comma, not coma. And so I've taken some of these aspects from different books, different mentors, different seminary profs, and I've changed uh, some of the letters around. So this is things that I do in my own life that have been just so helpful for me. Because even as a pastor, I can get into those ruts of reading scripture. I just need to come back to some of these aspects. So I hope that they're of, of help to you this morning. So let's run through these. Number one is C, and this is committed prayer. Okay, this is something that I always do before I open up the book. I just want to spend 30 to 60 seconds just asking the Lord, God, show me who you are. God, warm my heart, warm my soul for Jesus as I read this book. I don't want this just to be another exercise, but God, show me more of who you are. So number one is committed prayer. Second is observations. Okay, here you're kind of getting into the text. You've already read the passage, and I would encourage you not to read whole chapters, but just to read the Bible in paragraphs. So you might read five verses or 12 verses but a whole chapter might be just too much. So I'd break that down and just read it in sections. And the first thing you want to do is you want to kind of put on your reporter hat and you just want to report the facts of the passage. Okay, you just want to say things that just pop out to you from the passage. So repeated words or key phrases or maybe interesting uh, ways that the author is trying to communicate something or maybe different characters in the passage. And you really want to try to get 10 observations just down so you're getting inside the text there. Next thing here, 
First M is meaning. Okay, here, this is the what and the why of the passage. Okay, so you're trying to take your section of scripture and you're trying to summarize this passage in your own words in one to two sentences. Okay, this is really, this is hard. Like this is probably the hardest step to do, but you really wanna push yourselves to get inside the text and put a summary in your own words of the what and the why and looking at the context uh, will help you do that. The next M here is memorization. So I just encourage you just to select one or two verses from the passage and just memorize it. Like get it in your soul so that when you go throughout the day, you can recall it. I know I'm flying here, but that's okay. Um, A, the last thing here is application. Okay, so this is where we tend to usually start when we read scripture, but I wanna save this for the end. After you've, you've, you've kind of understood what it means in the first century, you wanna cross over that bridge and see what scripture has to say to you in your context. And for me, I always love asking myself these questions, like where do I fail in this passage? Or where do I see Jesus in this passage? Or because this passage is true, what needs to change in my life? Just really trying to be as specific as possible when you're, when you're getting to application so that you're appealing to your conscience. Because you don't just wanna settle for generalities, but you wanna be as specific as possible. Now, as I close, I just want to, there's so much to say on this topic, and I, and I love talking about Scripture, but as we close today, and, and as we look to the next couple of weeks at this series, I just want us to remember that the Bible is a vehicle to Christ. It's not an end in itself. That as important as looking at the inspiration and the authority of the Word is, and it is, but the Bible helps us to connect with the person in the book who is Jesus Christ. And I just want to illustrate that as we close today. Let me just illustrate that with this story. This is a pretty simple point. But suppose you have a friend who lived in Chicago who never had the privilege of seeing the ocean, okay? And so let's say that, that you live on the ocean and your friend writes you and says, can you, can you describe the ocean to me? Like, I've never been to the ocean, but just describe it to me. Let's say that you respond to your friend in this way. You say, well, we have a beautiful room with a picture window that gives us a sweeping view of the ocean. The window is 12 feet, two inches long, and four, four feet inches high, or four, four, eight inches high. It's divided into three sections. We've taken a scraping of the glass and have had it analyzed and can tell you the chemical formula of the glass. We've had an expert from one of the great glass companies tell us about the glass, and we want to give you a history of the invention and development of glass. The glass is set in steel frames and are painted black. We've had the steel and the paint composition analyzed, and we, we can allow you to have the analysis of this report that's attached to this letter. And finally, we've inquired of the hotel management and found out that their method of keeping the windows clean You'll be delighted to know the study of the whole process of the window cleaning and the formula of the special detergent needed to cope with the salt spray from the ocean. And in closing, let us say that we hope you have enjoyed our study of the ocean. Now, I think it would be safe to say if you had that type of friend who lived in Chicago, I think that they would conclude, look, buddy, you missed the point. Like, you missed the point of the window. The window is 
is to enable you to see past the window into the beauty of the ocean. And so in a similar way, as, we, as we've been looking at the inspiration of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and that's so important, but let's not miss what Scripture is pointing to and what the purpose of this book is for us to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, who is our only hope. That's just my last challenge for us as we, as we leave this place. Let me pray for us, and then, and then we'll be finished. God, I do thank you and praise you for the power of this word. God, thank you that it does have authority, that it is without error. God, that we can trust it because we can trust you. And Lord, I pray as we have gone through a lot of material this morning, that your spirit would just continue to impress the purpose that you have for us through this word. And God, we pray that every time we open up the Bible, that our hearts would be inflamed for Jesus. And God, we just pray for a contagious passion for Jesus, that when we bump into other people throughout our lives, that they would see something different in us. So God, give us a craving for your word, even as we leave this place and we wake up tomorrow, Monday morning and then Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. God, give us a craving for your word because we believe it gives life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thank you for being here. Have a great week.